welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to The Other Identity, your favorite podcast on comic books. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, the great Landis, Robbie Landis, and along with me, as always, my cohort, my partner in crime, Professor Awesome, a.k.a. Ben Morris. Ben, how's it going? Welcome, one and all, to not only your favorite comic book podcast, but I dare say, the greatest pound-for-pound comic book podcast in the universe. Good to talk to you, Robbie. Definitely the best one that I've listened to, because I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. So. I could recommend some for you, but then then you wouldn't be able to call ours the best anymore, so why would I do that? Well, I, I don't, I'm also just not a podcast listener. Like, I don't know, it's, 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 it's this weird thing that I have, and, and it's the same way when I used to stream, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I love streaming. But I'm not really big on watching, watching other, other people's people streams. Stream, yeah, yeah. I'm I. So I walk my dog three times a day, and when you're in a house, particularly during quarantine, with a two-year-old, believe me, I love being home with my daughter. But there are times <laughs> I just want to get out for 15 minutes and have my own thoughts. And mm-hmm. just throwing on a podcast while I walk the dog, I find is like really therapeutic like I can think about comics I can think about wrestling any of the stuff that I'm into it's just a good way to pass on but that's literally that's when I listen to podcasts and I mean during the school year I listen to more because I teach a podcasting class as you know you've been sure. a guest there so I'll listen to a lot for class but like during the summer it's literally just okay 15 minutes to walk the dog let's pop on an episode of this and it'll help me I it, sometimes I listen something the only the only podcast I listen to every day consistently is uh, I listen to NPR news because see that, yeah. that I understand yeah. listening to the news. Well, sure. also, also, it's the NPR is great because they do a five-minute podcast and they update it frequently throughout the day. So, literally, whenever I have five, three minutes, I would just want to, hey, what's going on in the world? Um, as opposed to like being on Twitter and getting a <laughs> and lot being of like I wish I didn't know now. Either I wish I didn't know or learning things that are completely false. So yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a good way to keep informed. That's fair. Uh, what I have been doing recently, though, of course, is keeping up on my comics. Now, I know that uh, a bunch of you who listen probably helped me decide uh, a few weeks ago that I would be reading Secret Empire next, which I'm getting there. Yep. Uh, but I, I, I've jumped back into the DC Rebirth era challenge because I'm finally at a, at a good chunk where it's all like Justice League yeah. of America, Batman, no, no more Cave Carson, no more Cave Carson, and uh, Adam Strange for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I have to say, first of all, I am. So impressed with Justice League of America, which I believe Steve Orlando. Is yes, correct? Steve Orlando, and, yes. and you said I think it's Ivan Rice on the yes. at least the first arc, and he's phenomenal. Oh my gosh! Uh, first of all, like like I I was going into Justice League of America expecting like the B Squad or even the C Squad, mm. and, and and honestly, some of the characters I think are probably considered uh, sort of B or C tier heroes. But you wouldn't know that if you were just jumping into Justice League of America for the first time. I mean, uh, the Killer Frost stuff that they're doing is phenomenal. It's, it's, it's really a shame that her arc is sort of spread out amongst various random titles. Uh, but uh, she's probably my favorite character. Uh, I didn't expect to like Lobo in it as much as I do. I mean, everyone in Justice League of America just is absolute fire. The only one who's kind of lagging behind a little bit for me is uh, uh, the guy that they have doing the Adam now, who who isn't the original one. Is it Ryan uh, Choi? Yes, that's okay. who it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I'm starting to warm up to him. Uh, so so uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back into that. But the first art, like, they just threw him into the deep end with the uh, the extremists, mm-hmm. who, uh, from what you've told me, uh, was big in the 90s. They're basically yep. supposed to be, like, an analog to the Marvel villains. Uh, but, man, like, like they were... They, they were, like, A-list 
villains. Yeah. Like, they, they could be. They should be. They're a legit yeah, threat. Everything about it was, 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 was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. I, the, touching on something you spoke about, the idea that like these are B-tier characters starring in Justice League, to me, that's always been my favorite kind of team book. Even when I read a true Justice League book that has Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, I'm always more interested in Red Tornado, Zatanna, Firestorm. And the reason for that is because, and I look at this when I read Avengers too, the reason I'm more into like Vision and Scarlet Witch than necessarily Cap and Iron Man is because the writer of the team book can do more with those characters because this is the only place you're seeing them, right? Like they're not going to... You're not going to see a huge change for Batman necessarily in the pages of Justice League of America because if something big happens with Batman, it's going to happen in Batman where he's killer where he's killer Frost. This is where she kind of stars. This is where her story is taking place. So I think writers like Steve Orlando and going all the way back to the Jerry Conways of the world liked having that freedom to be able to make changes and, you know, have the B characters fall in love and put them in legit peril. Because also, to that point, if if Batman's in any sort of peril in Justice League, I know nothing's going to happen to him because he's Batman. But there's a legitimate danger that something could happen to Lobo. There's no reason that Lobo, Lobo doesn't have his own book. He doesn't need to there. survive. There was a moment in issue at the end of issue one of JLA where uh, uh, Lord Havoc actually gets uh, the Atom by the neck and basically yep. says, I'm going to make an example. And I, I legitimately thought, especially because he was sort of lagging behind in character growth compared to everybody else, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, they're going to kill somebody off this early. Like I, like, I was a little disappointed that they didn't, but I would have respected the hell out of that. Sure. I mean, I'm just a big fan, and I always have been, of... The A-list characters kind of having their own solo books, and I like yeah. and I like seeing them in the team books. But I think you need to have those other characters. Whether it's going back to like my favorite comic when I was a kid was uh, was New Warriors, um, and that was all characters that did not have their own books. So New Warriors was the place that stuff went down for them, and I think that applies to Justice League, to Avengers, uh, X Men's kind of the weird exception to the rule. But uh, mm-hmm. in general, I think. You need to have that mix of A and B list characters to make a good team book. So uh, how's your uh, Captain America read been going? It's going really well. I'm really enjoying this Captain America read. I'm reading the current series written by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, I've seen art from, at this point, Lanil Yu, Adam Kubert. Now we're in Jason Masters. The kind of cool thing is, um, and I've noted this on Twitter and on Instagram where I've been, you can follow me and see my takes, that they're doing the thing where... Cap is very much the one we know from from the big screen where he's like, you know, I could do this all day and mm-hmm. um, I'll never quit and just like kind of stubborn. But it's both the people around him admire it and like it, but they're also like, wow, that's really annoying sometimes. And I feel like that's a really fun kind of take on Captain America where and he has to admit he's like the, the fact that he won't listen to anyone like, hey, you have to compromise. You have to handle an issue this way. He's just so straight ahead. I'm going to do the right thing all the time. And I'm totally morally confident. And people going like, Steve, calm down. Like, this is not, <laughs> it's not 1941 anymore. Like, there are, there are shades of gray when they're dealing, like, they're dealing stuff with, like, immigration. And they're like, you can't just approach this like it's World War II anymore. You need to... You need to have a full view. And he's like, all right, fair enough. I guess I do. And, and the, the last thing I'll say is that they have these characters, uh, the Daughters of Liberty, which is basically the idea that all these female heroes from 
Spider-Woman Jessica, Jessica Drew to Invisible Woman to White Tiger to Echo. They have all have, like, this secret team that has been operating for years behind the scenes. And basically, like, whenever bad stuff goes down, they get together just as the Daughters of Liberty to take care of it. And basically, they save Captain America's life. And Captain America's like, oh, cool, a new team. And they're like, no, we've been doing this for years. Um, we've been... <laughs> We've we've been saving everyone for years. We just don't we just don't tell you guys about it. And it's That's great. It's a neat idea, man. It's a really fun. It's a it's a good book. You should definitely check it out when you get a chance. All right. Well, speaking of a good book, today is going to be all about Spider Man Ultimate Spider Man, to be precise. That's coming up next. Hey, what's up? It's James. And Robbie. Hey, and it's Weird Beard. And we're bringing you a brand new radio show called Checkpoint XP. You don't have to be an expert, even though I am. And we're here to give you everything you need to know about the world of video games. Interviews from the biggest professionals and your everyday gamers. We've got you covered at Checkpoint XP. Whether you're a professional player or somebody who hasn't played in a while, we have something for everybody. Hang out with us at Checkpoint XP every single week on your radio. Find out where we're playing in your hometown at our website, CheckpointXP.com. So if you're looking to have some fun and talk about video games, we got the rundowns for things that matter to you. Checkpoint XP. Your home for esports and gaming. Got it that time. Yes. (laughs) Nailed it. For the latest in Overwatch League action, check out the Owl's Nest with me, Robbie Landis, and my co-host, Jake Lyon. For new episodes every Friday at CheckpointXP.com or download from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. guys for downloading and listening to the other identity make sure that you are sharing the word telling all of your friends about us get them in on the conversations let us know how it goes between uh you know you and your friends just you know don't come to blows you know actually one thing that i wanted to mention mm-hmm. uh, uh last segment which have been the perfect place for it is uh, uh obviously last week we had our you know big debate yep. between me and kevin justice league versus the avengers mm-hmm. uh we're not going to give you the results for that just yet we're going to let it go a little bit longer and the reason why is we want you guys, after having listened to the episode, to reach out to us on Twitter, either at CheckpointXP, Robbie underscore Landis CP, or Ben J M O R S E. And if you listened to the episode, we want to know what you thought. What are your opinions based on what you heard? Who do you think would win? Or do you have any arguments of your own? Let us know, and we will take some of the best ones, some of the good ones, and we'll read them here on the show when we officially let you know in other identity canon who would win. <laughs> Justice League or the Avengers. All right, back like on to topic here. Okay. Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man. Now, I am going to sit back in a moment and let you kind of explain your love <laughs> for this uh, this title because I feel like not a week has gone by on the other identity where you haven't said, you know what else was really good? Ultimate Spider-Man. You know what else was really good? <laughs> Death of Spider-Man. So we'll get into that. But just to give some background to people who might not know, um, it's crazy to me that Ultimate Spider-Man is 20 years old at this point. Uh, it's, it's, it's in college. Um, so Ultimate Spider-Man was this idea around 2000 that I believe was the brainchild of Bill Jemis, who was the publisher of Marvel at the time. The idea being that Spider-Man in particular at that point had been running for 40 years. And in order for someone to jump in and enjoy Spider-Man, it could be kind of intimidating because you had 40 years of history, all this different stuff 
I mean, even I reading it in the 90s, my Spider-Man was adult married Peter Parker who was married yep. to Mary Jane. And there was there was a desire on the part of Jenis and the people he worked with. Like, we want people who are coming in, particularly because there is a Spider-Man movie coming. We want people to be able to come in and pick up uh, a Spider-Man that's still young, but young in the year 2000, and that doesn't have all this continuity behind it. So they enlisted Brian Michael Bendis, now probably one of the top writers in comics, but at the time just an indie creator, as well as Mark Bagley, who was the longtime uh, artist of Amazing Spider-Man. And they said, all right, we want you to do something called Ultimate Spider-Man. It starts from moment one, as if this is all taking place in the present. Tell the story of young Peter Parker, change what makes sense to change, and tell kind of a contemporary version of Spider-Man. And it was the gateway for a whole new generation of Spider-Man fans. And it ran for... Years and years. We'll talk about the progression in the next segment. But I know this is this is how you got into comics. Yes. Uh, so I didn't get into it right at the beginning. Um, I, I, honestly, I'm not even sure what the genesis was for for why I decided to pick it up. But uh, this was was you know where I basically launched into it, and I ended up reading up until that point uh, the entire continuity for uh, the Ultimate Universe, because I had found a reading list where everything was just in order for me, and just on a platter, like, here you go, read it. And Spider-Man has always stood out to me. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, even when you go back to the, the 90s version of, of the cartoon, uh, he was basically this buff adult, essentially, mm-hmm. even though he was still in school. Yeah. There was nothing about him that was a kid, but to me... The, the, the best and most pure form of Peter Parker, which, you know, on, on a previous uh, episode, you've talked about Stan Lee's inspiration for creating Spider-Man, is that he's a kid. Yeah. And, and obviously there are a lot of, uh, you know, teenage heroes in comics now. I still feel like Peter stands out because even as a character, he understands I am the last person that should have these powers, right? Even with the powers... I don't have the training or the understanding to use them, mm-hmm. right? Captain America, you know, at first he might not have been the person that you would have, you know, thought to be a hero because, you know, he, he had all, all these health concerns and all these health issues, but he still wanted them. He wanted to do something with them. Tony Stark, he has the know-how to use, you know, what he has for good. I feel like every hero has a reason that they think, I should be doing this. I need to do this. And Peter finds it in his own way, mm-hmm. but he's still always been the last person that should be fighting crime. But he does it anyway just because it's the right thing to do. And especially in the Ultimate Universe with him being, I think he starts out at like 12 or 13 years old. He's, he's young, yeah. Yes, he's very young. To see that juxtaposed against all of these other heroes, you know, doing what's right. They're heroes, of course. They still have their own agenda of what they think is right, which, you know, leads into, in my opinion, one of the best Spider-Man stories of all time, and that is the death of Spider-Man, where I don't think you get to see the whole story if you're reading just Spider-Man. No, it it spills into a couple other, like, limited series and stuff like that, but you can get the the spine of the story in Spider-Man. Yes, yes. But but for me, like, like the part that, that really drove it home was, you know, during... There's all types of stuff going on, and the first big one is that there's an attack on the Triskelion, and uh, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, breaks out. You know, he takes, the, the, like, the top eight villains, including uh, Doc Ock uh, and, and a few other ones with him, and they're all basically like, hey, we know who Spider-Man is. He's a kid. Let's go and crush him. Mm-hmm. And Doc Ock is like, mm, 
you know what? Maybe let's not do that. I'm not really a bad guy. I'm going to just go back to my research. And I'm pretty sure that Norman Osborn, I don't know if he does him in, but he whoops him pretty hard. Yep. But when Spider-Man realizes, like, oh, no, you know, Aunt May is in trouble, heads back home, and in doing so is caught in a crossfire between the Ultimates, a.k.a. the Avengers, and this Black Op groups led by Nick Fury that has, like, Blade, the Punisher, and they're clashing with Cap and his guys on uh, one of the bridges in New York. And Spider-Man sees the Punisher taking aim at Captain America with a rifle and basically takes a bullet for Cap, falls into the river. They just go on fighting. And Peter Parker, now with a, a, a bullet, I'm pretty sure he takes it like through the chest or whatnot, still goes back. And just There's this great fight scene where he, he, he literally, to the end, just gives it his all. And he's just a kid mm-hmm. just doing what he thinks is right. While the quote-unquote real heroes, the adult heroes, are just fighting other because they're being i think manipulated by loki if i'm if i'm right but to me that story just always stuck out in my head so much it, it just it just it, it strikes to me at the heart of what what really makes a comic book a superhero great absolutely and i would recommend it people that's death of spider-man is, is is several years in that's the kind of obviously the farewell to the Peter Parker character, at least for a little Correct. bit. Mm-hmm. But I would recommend people start right from Ultimate Spider-Man number one in 2000 well. because there's so much they did. And, and and this is the genius of Bendis, is that he took the heart of what Stanley and Steve Ditko did in creating Spider-Man, a lot of the stuff you just touched on and why you loved it. But he also said, all right, what if they were doing it again, because he's basically getting a chance to redo it 40 years later, what could you do differently? And it's little things like the fact that in the original Spider-Man origin, we meet Uncle Ben for a couple panels and that he's dead. So there's there's an impact, but you know we don't really feel like, well, I'm not upset that this character died. He's, he's literally, he's, he could be anybody. The fact that in Ultimate Spider-Man, they, they space it out and you actually get to know Uncle Ben and Aunt May over the course of like the first six issues. And you know what's going to happen to Uncle Ben, but just building up that anticipation and really, I remember that was one of the strongest parts of that first arc for me was I love this guy. And when he dies, I get where Peter is coming from. The great power and great responsibility resonates to me so much more. And I'm not, you know, I'm not dogging on Stan and Steve. Obviously, they did what they did back in the 60s because they didn't they didn't know what they had there. But something about that foresight of being able to really set up the origin. I think it's one of the it's it's an incredible version of Spider-Man. You know, I've, I've come to realize recently, especially when, when, when telling people about some of the stuff I'm, I'm reading, that when you talk about comics, it comes off a lot sillier mm. than the actual execution of it. Like, for example, uh, I was reading All-Star Batman the other, other day, and there's a panel where Batman uses a real flamingo to knock out a cyborg uh, Nightwing. Makes um, sense. Now, for all of you, you know, uh, animal activists out there, don't worry, the flamingo ended up being a cyborg as well. As well. <sighs> but just that... A picture seems ridiculous. And, and one of the things about Ultimate Spider-Man, one of my actual favorite arcs, was there, there was a, a point where the May Parker house ended up becoming like a, a, a real world for teen superheroes. Yes, I love that. There. I love uh, that. Iceman lived with them. I think Johnny... Human uh, Torch was there. Four lived there. Kitty and, and like Yeah, I think I Kitty think... was there at, at some point as well. And just like that idea on its head... 
I, I'm not going to blame people for going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It was amazing. It was so great. Just, I don't know, everything about Ultimate Spider-Man and, and the fact that he's a kid, I think, allows for a little bit more of the lighthearted sort of silly stuff right. that happens. But there's still also that, that seriousness and that gravity, that gravitas that exists there. And then obviously, you know, uh, the death of Spider-Man made way for Miles Morales, uh, uh Spider-Man in his own right, uh, which we're going to talk about a little bit more here uh, coming up when we talk about Miles Morales number one. Just Miles in general. There's, there's so much to Miles. Like, 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 honestly, sometime in the future, he should get his own show yeah. uh, uh, episode dedicated to him. But that's coming up next, guys. Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Hey, what's up? I'm Robbie from Checkpoint XP. And I'm Jake from the Overwatch League casting team. And together, we're your hosts of the Owl's Nest. With the Overwatch League up and running again, we'll be bringing you all the latest from the League and within Overwatch. But it's important that we all do our part to flatten the curve by staying home during the COVID-19 outbreak. So stay home. Stay healthy. And we'll see you every Friday night on the Owl's Nest before the Overwatch League weekend. Check it out at the Checkpoint XP YouTube channel or at CheckpointXP.com. Students are playing more video games than ever, and that's not... Not a bad thing anymore. With Checkpoint XP on campus, you can peek into the world of college esports and gaming. We talk to personalities in the space like Phasix, who retired from the Overwatch League to join a college team, or thought leaders like James O'Hagan of the Academy of Esports, who's leading the charge on blending education and video games. It's not all black holes and floss dances. Games can lead to college scholarships, and we can tell you where on Checkpoint XP on campus. guys so much for downloading and listening we're talking about spider-man today we just got done telling you why you should read ultimate spider-man uh that's 200 some issues oh so many entire continuity <laughs> at this point it's gonna keep you busy for yeah. a while we actually have a listener uh, uh, a fan of the show terry capelli a uh, longtime fan of everything Checkpoint XP has been doing. Uh, I know that he recently jumped into uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, and he's been loving it. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's talk about Miles Morales, yeah. uh, who we first see introduced after the death of Spider-Man. And honestly, like, like especially uh, having just read Miles Morales number 1 from 2018 by... Saladin Ahmed uh, is the writer, and then yep. Javier Garon is the artist. Uh, which, first of all, I have to say that... Even though it's technically a new series, it's still continuing the continuity from the Ultimate Universe. There's Correct. so much they keep intact. Like, mm-hmm. from the art style to the character, just, like, like, reading that first issue, I'm like, it's Ultimate Spider-Man all over again. Yeah. And I love it. Um, but there's also enough things here that when you read it, that if you love Spider-Man, if you love Peter Parker, you're going to love Miles as well. But then there's enough things that they've tweaked and they've changed. Bingo. That it's not the same character. Exactly. Right? So first of all... I love that Miles' parents know his identity. Yep. That's... I think that that's one of the most tired tropes in comics to this day is keeping that secret from your family to, quote-unquote, protect them, right? I don't mind having a healthy mix. Like, I don't mind if some heroes don't tell sure. their, their loved ones of their identities, but I do agree with you that more and more we're seeing the benefit of the secret identity being kind of done away with. Um, but I do like, this is kind of a compromise because it's not like he's a public superhero. Not everyone knows Miles is a superhero, but his best friends and his parents know it and they can kind of help him function. And they're seeing them as a support to this thing that he's doing. I agree that that's one of my favorite 
aspects of the Miles Morales, particularly the issue we read, the stuff with his mom uh, mm-hmm. was really sweet. And I, I like that they distinguish him from Peter Parker in that way. And I like that they make a story point in the first issue that he's like, yeah, Peter told me to keep my identity secret from my family, and I thought that was ridiculous, so I don't do yeah. it. <laughs> well, look, it, it makes sense to keep your identity from the public at large. Yeah. Yes, you don't, want, you don't want your enemies trying Knowing to hurt your enemies to get to sure. you. Makes perfect sense. But that doesn't really hold up when keeping it from your family. Sure. Right? So, so I mean, obviously, yes, there is a healthy mix between a lot of it. But but I just, I really love and I really embrace uh, when the, the parents know about it. And, and I'm pretty sure, actually, in um, in Saladin's Miss Marvel, I'm pretty sure her parents know her identity I, as I well. Think, I think, I mean, I, in both cases, I think he inherited that from previous writers. Mm-hmm. Ah, but he true. has been running with that idea that, yeah, just the idea that Miss Marvel, like, her mom knows her secret identity, I know that. Um, and it's cool. It's cool to be able to see, like, and it's cool in the sense, like, <laughs> you and me are adults reading this, but it's cool to be able to see, like, kids and their parents being kind of on the same side, working towards a common goal, instead of that very tired trope of, like, the the mom and dad are just another obstacle you're the, always coming the, home late. Yeah, exactly. They're ah. not. They're not. They're. They're. They don't. Because that, that's so annoying. Like you don't like those yeah. characters. It's like <laughs> I don't like Aunt May. She's just. She's harping on Peter all the time. But with Miles's parents, I'm like, his dad is awesome. His mom is so sweet. Like, why would you? These are more characters for you to fall in love with. So I think that does take away a barrier to enjoying the supporting cast. Speaking of barriers, oh jeez, I don't know what I uh. do. <laughs> Uh, another cool vibe that I get from this is I feel like Sp- the Spider-Men are sort of the flash of the Marvel Universe. I think they've become that. I don't think they yeah. always were, but I think they've become that. Yeah, well, and obviously they, they, they don't work as close together as right. what Barry and Wally do. They don't have that same relationship. But I think it's the only example in the Marvel side of things where you have two separate characters who at the same time are the same hero, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and and you can already see, too, in this first issue that Miles is dealing with a lot of the stuff that Wally dealt with early on as Kid Flash, right? The mm-hmm. rhino, you know, calls him the kid version. Yeah. He says, you're not as fast as Just not guys. getting that respect. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that Miles trying to live up to the example, uh, you know, set by Peter, I, I think is a fine part of the story. Um I think that at least in this first issue, Miles' quips are a little light. Although I do like the uh, the cap reference about being able to do this all day. Yeah, that was uh, fun. I thought that that was that was really cool. But I think that DC could take a few pages from Marvel's book. They have two Spider Mans going on, right? Miles Morales and Peter Parker are both extremely yeah. popular. Give yeah. Wally the chance to have <laughs> his own book. I mean, the crazy thing is that. For, not to get too far off track, but there was a time in their publishing history where DC was great at this. They would have multiple characters with the same name who could function in the same universe. There was tons of Green Lanterns who all had their own books, but it seems there has become this obsession with the soul identity. I love the relationship between Peter and Miles, and I know everyone was concerned when Miles was brought in from the Ultimate Universe. They're like, oh, he's going to become Spider-Boy, or he's going to have to have... Yeah, he's going to have to have some other identity, and other identity um but he uh, <laughs> but he uh he does i like that he operates with peter's approval right the fact that peter is wholly supportive of the fact that this guy is spider-man he's proven himself to me and he has earned the name and we are partners who 
do different things and have different approaches, but we both have earned and will keep the name Spider-Man. I really, I really love that. Well, and I think it goes back to what I had mentioned is so great about Peter as a hero is he's the last per and he knows it. I'm the last person on earth that should have been placed in this situation, but mm -hmm. I know that I do good. And so I think that, you know, he, he's able to look at miles and, and think that if I can make a difference, of course he can make a difference as well. Yeah. And I also think there's that it's, it's so nice that Peter's not, this makes you like Peter even more that he's not territorial about the name that he's not, he, he's not threatened by the fact that this kid wants to do good and use his name. He's like, oh, great, the more the merrier, you know? The more people trying to save lives and do good in my city, awesome. I'm not, I don't need to be the only Spider-Man in the same way that I feel like some other heroes are very territorial about their identity, mm -hmm. and they're like, no, 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 you are, you know, second to me. Like, there's a lot right. of competition. That just makes, that makes Peter even more endearing, and, and I think... Miles and Peter are both able to exist. They scratch different itches for different fandoms. This is besides the point of the fact that Miles is a character of color and is a person that, you know, children who are black or Hispanic can look at him and be like, oh, he looks like me. That's a whole nother great thing that we don't even need to touch on because he's also just a great character for anybody to enjoy. Yeah, the last thing that I'd like to uh, uh, touch on, and again, this, this, this is something that I've been noticing that I've really been gravitating to in comics all over the place, so uh, uh, kudos to Saladin. But uh, when it comes down to the villain at the end of this, you know, mm. uh, Miles is fighting the rhino, and you find out that the rhino isn't actually here to commit crimes. He's actually, you know, looking for, uh, I think it's a niece yeah. of, of his own. So, so there's this, 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 this twist on the villain, and uh, God, it's been all over, for, whether it's Killer Frost in Suicide <laughs> Squad slash JLA or Clayface. In, in the Batman. Detective, yeah. It's, it's very satisfying uh, to have all these writers that are using villains in a way that defy your expectations. And I mean, I'm at the point now where, where I plan on putting Secret Empire uh, on the back burner, probably the DC stuff on the back burner as well, just so I can get caught up on Miles Morales. Yeah. And, you know, again, because of Saladin's writing, I'll probably then go back and make sure that I'm caught up on Miss Marvel as well. Uh, but, man, such a fantastic, fantastic book. Absolutely. It's a great book, and it's a great character, and uh, definitely people out there, if you take anything away from today's episode, go back and read the original Ultimate Spider-Man from 2000. You've got, like Robbie said, hundreds of issues to keep you busy, but also check out, if you're looking for something more recent, Miles Morales' Spider-Man. It debuted in 2018. Uh, it's fantastic, and it's something you'll enjoy as well. That's right, guys. But that is all the time that we have for today. But before you leave, I also want you to know that, uh, you know, if you're into, let's say, eSports, collegiate eSports specifically, you should definitely start uh, subscribing to Checkpoint XP on campus. You can watch Checkpoint XP on campus on our YouTube channel at Checkpoint XP or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But that's it, guys. We'll see you next week. Same other identity time, same other identity channel.